Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hey guys, so I'd love it if you could join our Facebook group, Digital Nomad and Freedom Fighter Collective. We're creating a movement here and I'd like you to join. Go on there and introduce yourself, share your goals with us, and join in the discussion. If you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to share, feel free to reach out to me through the Facebook group. And as my personal gift, you can also find a free copy of my audiobook for Buy Your Own Island in the file section of that group. I really look forward to seeing you there and hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you. Hey, good morning from Chiang Mai, Thailand. Thank you so much for joining me today for another exciting episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm feeling good today. I'm joined by Johannes Keppel. He's a long-term traveler who, with two of his friends, created a travel startup, We Travel. It's wetravel.com. And Johannes has a pretty inspirational story around travel and how he used travel to inspire this current business. He's lived all over the globe. He's lived in, uh, he went to school in Moscow. He lived in Brazil. He's lived in Swaziland, Africa, and uh, out of college, after college, he moved from Switzerland to Central Asia to work for the Red Cross in a prison facility in Uzbekistan, and then as the head of the Tajikistan office, he was living on the border of Tajikistan and Afghanistan for three years, and he began to organize group tours for Europeans, helping them to explore Central Asia off the beaten path. And this became the seed of the idea for his startup, because even though he was making extra income during his tours, there were still a lot of uh, pain points and problems that he had to deal with. So he's now created this platform, We Travel, which is an 11-person team speaking 22 languages and representing eight different nationalities. And it's really cool. Anyone can sign up and register on the site and earn an extra living, earn a living or extra side hustle doing tours around the globe. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but first I really want to dive in and ask Johannes about all of his travel experiences, and uh, and then we're going to talk about how that kind of gave him the idea to create this current business. So it's really impressive. In the last month, they've organized more than one million dollars in tours through the site. So and that's uh, Johannes. How long has it been since you started this business? Danny, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, yeah welcome to the show. <laughs> There's a lot, that was a really long bio. I, I apologize, it's, but I want you to jump in and interject there. So. Absolutely. It has been now um, one and a half years that we are live with the site. We started it um, right out of, out of college. Very cool. So that's, that's really impressive growth in just a year and a half. And I really want to ask you about that. But first, I want you to share with me in your own words. Tell me about your backstory. Sure. Um, I'm originally from Switzerland. Um, it's crazy. Thinking about it, travel has really inspired me from really early ages. I remember uh, selling yo-yos at markets um, to be able to afford some holidays. We then went with friends afterwards with the money that I made from that for a week to the south of France to sit. And really traveling has been one of the main themes in my life ever since. When I was 17, I went on my first longer trip on a high school exchange to California. Um, it was really interesting. And yeah, it has stayed with me ever since. So that's really interesting. So you started out by selling yo-yos to fund your travels. That's an innovative idea. Have you always just kind of like been looking for entrepreneurial uh, opportunities as you travel? Because I know that there's some people who are really good at this, 
I interviewed Mike Spencer Brown in the very first interview of this podcast, and uh, he would always find profitable business opportunities everywhere he went. And he's been traveling for, I think it's like 30 years now, continuously. So he'll go to Bali and find you know people chopping down coffee trees and turn those into coffee tables and then export them back to North America. Uh, do, do you have like this kind of knack where you just kind of look for opportunities to make money as you travel? Yeah, absolutely. I took a little bit of a different path. I think it's because probably I'm from such a high-income country. Switzerland probably has one of the highest sellers in the world. So for me, it almost made more sense all the time to just earn some money in Switzerland, work for two weeks, earn for three weeks. I was doing anything from cleaning hospitals to putting together little extra electromechanical parts just for a week or two in, in my holidays. And then the second week or the third week, I would take off and go travel again. Later, as, as I, I grew older, I always found work that supported my travel. First, I worked for many, many years during my studies at the airport with groups, but also doing check-in, doing gate work, all kinds of stuff. This had the great perk of not only earning me money, but also getting me free stuff. Afterwards, I, of course, started working for two nonprofit organizations, Doctors Without Borders and the International Red Cross. These were always kind of my dream organizations to work for. But of course, they also had the perk of sending me all over the globe to crazy places. So what inspired all of this? What inspired you to join the Red Cross or to just begin traveling at such a young age? You know, what's been motivating you? What's been driving you to do all this stuff? I think in the beginning it was clearly just curiosity. Uh, I wanted to see new worlds. I wanted to explore new things. Uh, I guess I'm the kind of personality that get, tends to get easily bored. But as I kept traveling, and I think that was especially true for, for the first time I went abroad for a longer period of time, for this one year that I spent at a, in a U.S. high school, I realized it's much more than just exploring a new place. It's really also exploring yourself. If you get thrown at the age of 17 into a, another context that's completely foreign to you, um, you realize a lot about your personality that you take for granted when you're back home. Because at, at back home, you surround with people that you're familiar with, that appreciate you the way you are. But once you arrive in a new context, and this is what happened to me when I first arrived in California, in the beginning, I couldn't really talk to the people. Um, but once I was able, after three, four months to really, once I improved my English, I realized that my personality didn't jive so well with everybody there. Um, I had some really nasty parts of my personality that I didn't really realize when I was back home because the people I surrounded myself with naturally liked me already. Um, this was the first time that I realized that traveling is not just about exploring new cultures and new places, it's also about exploring yourself. And this can be a very confrontative experience. I don't think it's for everybody. I had... Um, a one very, very close friend who almost broke from this one-year exchange experience because, um, yeah, it, it was just too much. The homesickness was uh, too much. The, the way in which he was confronted with his own personality was too much. But if you're a personality that has the knack for traveling, that has the urge to experience not only the world but also themselves in any way, I highly recommend jumping into the unknown and going out there and just spend a longer period of time in a new environment. 
I definitely know the feeling of, I guess not homesickness, but just being like, you know, what am I doing? Am I going to be going to another hostel again or couch surfing again or something like this? You know, because I had that honeymoon when I first came to Southeast Asia, but after six months, you know, this is back in like 2012, I want to say. Yeah. I just, I just felt like burnt out, you know, like I wanted to get healthy again. I, I missed like the food back home, you know, I wanted to get back yeah. into my gym. And, and then I got injured and then I had to go back. But, um, you know, I think that now I, I've been, I started traveling, you know, about four or five, about more than five years ago, just continuously. And now I just realized that sometimes you're going to feel these things, you know, sometimes you're going to feel like, uh, you know, what path am I on? You're going to feel uncertainty. You're going to feel doubt, but it passes, you know, it passes too. Yeah. And you can live through it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a fascinating part about traveling, right? Uh, often people travel because they say it makes them feel more alive. And I, I definitely share this feeling. I think what, what traveling does is it accentuates the highs and it makes the lows also much deeper, right? It's, it's while in your, if you have a steady job or in your steady environment back home, your life kind of is a flat curve, more or less, maybe a little bit of ups and downs. Um, once you go traveling, you really bring some vibrations into that. Uh, there's there's going to be incredible experiences. I mean, uh, there's these magic moments when you're traveling where you just, it can happen anywhere. It can be riding in a car through Africa. It can be standing at a sunset where you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm experiencing this. This is so, I'm so incredibly lucky. But then there's these downs too, where you feel homesick, where you really ask yourself, what the heck am I doing with my life? Um, and that's all part of it. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah, there's a quote by, uh, I don't know who it's, who it's from, but it says basically, monotony collapses time and novelty unfolds it. Absolutely. So yeah, it's, couldn't it's agree kind more. of that, that feeling of, you know, everything is new, new environments, new people. Your your new identity when you when you join a new environment, like you said, when you went to California, uh, it just kind of creates this feeling of possibility. And I feel like you know when you travel a month, so many things like you feel like a year's worth of experiences can be packed in a month, whereas a whole year can go by if you're living at home and you can barely remember any of it. You know, maybe you remember a wedding or a birthday party, but if you look back, you know, a year of your life, like maybe let's say you were living at home in Switzerland and. 2010, you know, how much can you remember from that year, you know, yeah, if you didn't absolutely. travel? <laughs> so that's, that's one cool thing about it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I definitely love that feeling. I'm addicted to it. And on that topic, I'd really love to ask you more details about your travels, you know, and uh, tell me more about the experience in, in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. And also, um, you were in Brazil and Swaziland, like, you know, can you Throughout Absolutely. Stuff sure. So um, Brazil was kind of the first time that was still before I went to university in Switzerland. It was the first time that I realized how incredibly fortunate I am having grown up in a, in a middle class family in Switzerland. Right. I realized really there that just by by birth, I was the elite of the world um, in, in Brazil. I, of course, experienced extreme poverty. I played a lot of music there. Um, I, I did some stuff in the slums with music um, in the favelas. It was it was fascinating, but it was also very confrontative. It, it I realized that, um, yeah, I am extremely lucky, and in some way or form, I want to give some of that luck back to the world, whatever that might mean. Um, in the coming years, I then went to study economics and economic history, 
um, I, I was really interested in the topic, why some countries are so extremely poor and why some are so incredibly rich. I then encountered a couple of organizations that I've really admired. So that was, that was Doctors Without Borders, who I first started working for, and then also the International Comedy of the Red Cross. Um, especially the second one was kind of the organization I always aspire to work for. Um, it's an organization that visits prisoners in over 80 countries in this world. Um, they visit in Guantanamo, they visit in Afghanistan. And um, with that in mind, I also then decided to spend a year and a half in Moscow as an, another um, college exchange. I did my last year of my bachelor there because I knew that requiring either Arabic or Russian was a must if I wanted to join that organization. Um, that's kind of the idealistic part of why I went to Swaziland, to Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. But of course, there's also a more egoistic uh, reason and that is simply I love the adventure right I, when I was visiting prisoners in Uzbekistan or doing my job in Tajikistan as a at the Red Cross office it sometimes had a almost surreal quality to it it felt a bit like James Bond but more fucked up um <laughs> it was I mean it, it, it you basically are kind of a war diplomat if you're a delegate of the National Comedy of the Red Cross it's an organization that was established in 49 after the Second World War to establish, to make sure that things that happened during the Second World War do not repeat themselves. You know, you do not torture, you do not, do not um, target civilians. Um, and enforcing these rules is with sometimes non-state actors, meaning rebels or whatever we call radical Islamists, it is a, it's a very surreal experience. Or visiting, visiting them in prison is, is equally so. Um, and it's fascinating and it's enriching and it's definitely something very few people in this world will ever experience. And I felt myself fortunate in that sense also. However, it's also extremely taxing, right? It's not something I knew from the beginning when I joined the Red Cross that I, I told myself I want to do it for two years, ended up doing it for three and that was good. Um, I've seen people that can do their, this their whole life and they're fine and they don't get cynic, they don't break. But I realized after a year of visiting prisoners in Uzbekistan, I would not be that kind of personality. I take it too personal. Um, showing empathy takes a lot um, from me as well. And this is when I decided uh, I, I really want to change my life. And I had this idea for We Travel as I was continuing to work on the side. And on the side, I was also organizing tours for tourists from Europe. And I was struggling with collecting money from them. Um, Organizing the whole trip was a hassle. And at that point, I really, with this idea for We Travel, I got a very lucky break. I applied for a Fulbright scholarship from the US government and received it and was able to come to UC Berkeley to do my MBA. So very interesting. So I have one question. When you, sure. were, when you were working with the Red Cross and you know working with these political prisoners, did you have like a default career path in mind or were you just determined to throw yourself out there and kind of figure it out as you go? Because it sounds like you're a lot like me. <laughs> you are just willing yeah. to try stuff. Yeah, not at all, not at all. Yeah. Uh, the, the crazy thing is I was 28 at that point and that was really, that was the end of my career goal at that moment. Um, I, that was the organization I wanted to work for. That was the position I wanted to work for. That's what I wanted to experience. And I gave zero thoughts about what I want to do after. Um, 
while I was with the Red Cross, I also realized I don't want to stay in the sector and go work back home, at least not for now. Um, headquarters of humanitarian organizations or just nonprofits can be boring, bureaucratic, slow. Um, and I just knew that it, that's not for me. Not now, maybe not ever. Um, and this is where this idea for, for starting my own company came about. Because in the end, entrepreneurship has a lot in common with a crazy traveler lifestyle, right? That's why so many people like you do the entrepreneurship while traveling. Um, because both are roller coasters, both are exciting. In both, you have to be really, really good at improvising. In both cases, you don't really know at the beginning of the day what the end of the day will bring you. And in both of them, you kind of see the results of what you do every day anew. And this is something that is, that is really important to me. And when I came to business school um, here in, in, in San Francisco in Berkeley, and looked at all the other jobs that were that my classmates were doing, honestly, none of them were really interesting to me. So it was very clear from the beginning when I arrived here that I want to start my own company. That's such a great point that you brought up. Uh, I've learned so much, so many entrepreneurial skills from traveling. You know, whether it's going to a new place and learning how to network or learning how to request a couch. You know, with a yeah. someone you don't know. <laughs> totally. It just kind of like puts your feet to the fire and forces you to do things that you know you might be a little uncomfortable with, but you would never try doing if you were just at home. And it really reminds me. Do you know the Kniffen framework? Have you heard of that before, Johannes? No, tell me about it. Well, it's kind of like the the it divides work into four different quadrants, right? So there's mm -hmm. simple work, there's complex, complicated, and chaotic. And simple work yeah. might be like uh, farming, you know, manual labor. Complex yeah. work might be something that requires like driving a truck, for example. Uh, complicated might be more uh, advanced, like, you know, being a doctor, a surgeon, something like this, and then there's chaotic. And basically, yeah. in the Kniffen framework, uh, if, if you're operating in the chaotic realm, there's no blueprint or yep. uh, training guide to show you how to do this kind of activity. And so entrepreneurs tend to spend a lot of time in that chaotic area because they're yeah. doing things that are experimental. You know, we have no idea whether this is going to work or not, but we're going to give it our best effort. And you know, we're going to respond to the feedback that we get. And um, I think that traveling, because it forces you into that unknown to embrace that uh, exotic unknown element that it really prepares you for the hurdles that you're going to face working in this entrepreneurial end up, working in the entrepreneurial area of chaotic work, basically. Yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's crazy because right now, even as our company is growing, we have stable financing, we're doing really well. Still, every day, you don't know if the decisions you take today are the right ones or not. And traveling prepares you really well for that. When I was in Swaziland working for Doctors Without Borders, I was there um, as their health economist, meaning I was um, budgeting every single item that they would spend on this really, really big tuberculosis and HIV product project that they were conducting in Swaziland. Um, Swaziland has the highest HIV rate in the world. When I was there, it was absolutely insane. In my age group, almost half of the males um, were HIV positive. Um, and when I was budgeting this project, that didn't just mean I sat behind a computer, but I was actually going to the field with the doctors a lot, especially in the beginning. And going out there into these tiny little clinics, uh, driving maybe for an hour or two in a cheap with a doctor and a nurse, uh, 
testing kits, drugs, etc. And just sitting in with the doctor, soaking this all in, um, and then sometimes being asked to do all kinds of various tasks, management of patients right after they got an injection because there were only two people there. They could, they could really use every hand sometimes if the clinic was really busy that day. And this was such an unexpected experience. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And this was really a perfect preparation of, of entrepreneurship later on. Absolutely. I can see how that would train you to develop the resolve, the fortitude, and also, you know, developing those muscles of uh, finding solutions to these problems that are just completely unexpected, you know, no, no two days yeah. are the same, basically. And that's exactly, exactly how entrepreneurship is, you know, every, yeah. every day I'm doing something different, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the other great thing that you learn is just to not lose your, lose your nerves. Um, Things really have to go phenomenally wrong that I will lose my temper or that I will get really upset or worried. Um, there's really there's very few things that worry me after after my experiences with the, the Red Cross, and um, that resilience is definitely needed when you start a company because it will be the same thing. One day you'll think you'll conquer the world, and the next day you're asking yourself what the, what the heck you're doing and that all is worthless and all is lost, right? And that's part of it. And um, yeah, it just builds up this resilience. So you said that the second thing that you learned was to not to lose your temper, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. I think Mark Twain said that anger is an acid that does more harm to the vessel which is stored than to anything which is poured. And yeah. <laughs> I love that metaphor because, you know, sometimes someone will write something and you want to reply back, you know, angrily or it just kind of strikes a chord, you know, strikes a nerve and mm-hmm. you get upset and then you just got to learn to let it go. You know, if you lose a client, for example, resist yeah. the urge to say, you know, I know best, you know, because maybe they might become a client mm-hmm. again someday or they might help you in, again someday. So just kind of learn to let things go. Right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, anything else you think that uh, traveling has taught you or enriched you with? Um. I definitely think I definitely think it helps to just put your own problems into perspective. Um, I think if I would have grown up or not have traveled that widely, I would worry more about the small things, and I would also probably worry more about things around me. Um, kind of given the grand scheme of things. <laughs> My life is absolutely incredible. Um, the life of most of my family and people around me is absolutely amazing. And this kind of um, humility is definitely something that came from traveling. Uh, I definitely also think that it just helps connect people. It's it's very hard to imagine somebody that is well-traveled having racist or even sexist views. Um, and that, I think, it is, is, a huge, is a huge advantage of traveling. It just opens your mind in that way as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I want to shift a little bit more to uh, business. Talking about Absolutely. Business yeah, so mm-hmm. I, what have you learned? I mean, you must be really good at marketing and selling yourself. You know, you've, uh, you've grown, we traveled in just a year and a half to, uh, how many users do you have in the site now? Um, I think that definitely in the tens of thousands this month, I think we have maybe two, three thousand new users sign up. Yeah, so quite a bit. Impressive growth, and you know, more than a million in transactions in just the last month. 
I know yeah. that there's, there's several of these kind of platforms that are developing right now, but a lot of them struggle with marketing, getting users. And yeah, absolutely. And I know that, that you've, you've been able to find opportunities everywhere you travel. I mean, you, you talk about all these different various jobs, like selling yo-yos, for example, when you're a kid. Yeah, um, yeah. What have you learned about you know, marketing and selling yourself? Because I think that's kind of an area where a lot of people fall short. Totally. Let me maybe just talk in two, three sentences what we travel actually do. I will just put my answers sure. afterwards a, little, a bit in context. Yeah. So we travel is a platform for anyone that organizes group trips. So if you're familiar with platforms like Evite or Eventbrite, it's a similar platform, but specifically if you have to organize a group trip. So let's say you have to organize a trip for 40 people. Instead of you manually going out there and collecting money from everybody, you just sign up the trip on WeTravel. You invite everybody through WeTravel, send them the link, and they sign up through WeTravel. And then you can transfer the funds to your own account or to a travel agent, wherever it has to go. There's all kinds of communication, um, um, email um, stuff that you can do that will just facilitate your life. And I think the, the most important thing when you think about these platforms is, first, you got to build something that, that really solves a particular pain point of, of one single person. Um, the way it went with us, it's really interesting. So I came to the US, um, I found an amazing CTO, which is the hardest thing when you start any any company. Um, starting a new company all by yourself is very difficult. Finding the one or two great co-founders that will do this was probably the, the first initial key step. But after uh, we got the initial team together, we built the first basic version, uh, so-called so minimal viable product. Um, I've really just a hacked together thing to see if anybody would even use this. And there, the basic idea was, hey, we're going to build this platform for tour guides, you know, um, people that lived all around the world and that organized these tours, and we would then market these tours for them and sell them for them, and kind of like an Airbnb for tours, right? Uh, kind of the idea that probably 10,000 people had already. Um, once we built the initial product, it was really interesting. We then went to our colleagues in our school and they said, uh, yeah, I can use it. We just wanted to have their feedback if they can use it or not, usability testing. Said, yeah, they can use it, but something very, very similar to this could actually be super useful for me. If I could just put up private trips there, we could organize all these big student trips we're doing because every business school does these trips to Japan, to Israel. We could put all these business trips on your platform and collect money through it and message everybody through it and communicate through it and coordinate the whole travel. Um, as it was originally designed for tour guides, um, we really didn't expect our classmates to be so enthusiastic about it. When we showed it for them for usability testing, they looked at this and said, hey, this is amazing. Um, if I could just create private trips on there, we could organize all these big student trips that we're organizing every year in business school through your platform. We could use it to collect money. We could coordinate the whole traveling. We could communicate with everybody that is on a trip through it. Um, and then so we did these small modifications. Uh, what happened then was really surprising, even though we didn't originally build it for it. All top 10 business schools in the U.S. started, use it to, started using this beta version. Um, at this, this point, we had what is often called in entrepreneurship language product market fit, which is extremely critical, right? You actually have a product that solves a problem that some people have. There's people that are willing to use your platform and they come to you because they really like it. The moment they hear about you, they start using you. And that is what happened with us. Um, at that point, we realized 
we really had a product that that people liked and wanted. Um, we didn't market that much. We so far we have not spent any money on Google AdWords, for example, yet in the in the history of we travel. Um, we are right now building a true marketplace for group trips, um, starting with the yoga retreat niche market. Um, but the way we built this is by giving really one side of this marketplace a tool that they really love. So we're going to the organizers and saying, hey, look, how are you currently organizing your trips? You know, you probably have a website. You maybe have PayPal integrated in it. Um, you maybe ask people to wire you money. Uh, have you ever considered doing it differently? Have you ever, here's a platform that is free for you to use, at least right now. If you sign up right now, it will be free and remain. So um, try it out, you know, um, try out the platform. And then once we show them how it works, normally a basic 20 minutes phone call with a short demo is enough to, to convince people that have heard about us from, through some other way to use us. And this way we get all these organizers on, on our platform. And they also bring all their travelers through to us because then the travelers sign up with us and more and more people know about it. Um, so we, our marketing has been very product-centered and we've been really lucky in that sense that we have something that doesn't spread virally, that's a bit an exaggeration, but that does spread naturally through the product. So a big part of it is just inviting people to test it out, to try it out, to get familiar with it, even if, yeah. uh, if you're just kind of giving it away for free at first. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will start introducing a, a transaction fee next year. And there's just no way around it because we also pay for the transactions, obviously. Um, but it will be still much, much smaller than anything that than any alternative that's out there. Because if you use PayPal or if you use credit cards, um, there's always at least a 3% transaction fee. We have found a way to securely online charge your bank account directly. So you just enter your account run number and you check in number from your US bank account. And we can deduct normally the relatively large amounts that are needed for these travel trips directly from your account, thereby allowing the organizer not having to pay these credit card fees. And that's what normally gets the organizers hooked. Okay, so it's, it's really good to get them familiar by actually using uh, your service or your platform. Um, but then I think the, the offer is so important, like being able to construct that offer properly, because I think that's where a lot of people fall short. There's a lot of, uh, you know, good offer gets people to yeah. sign up with little resistance, but a bad offer, uh, you're gonna be f uh, struggling uphill to, you know, if, if you're trying to sell anything, basically, like, you know, and Absolutely. Um, it's, it's kind of like something you need to put a little thought into because like for me, for example, like I have a productized service and uh, I wouldn't just start working for people for free because I know that they might waste my time and leave after a totally. month, you know, of labor. Yeah. So, uh, but, but if I can offer, you know, like a, a trial for like a week or two, but also kind of ask for money up front, you know, to protect myself, um, yeah. I think it's worth trying to think about it and Constructing that perfect offer is a big part of the success, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really hard to get right. Um, right now, um, we are completely free, which is crazy because normally during our during these demos that we do, you know, um, with potential um, customers, with potential users, they're like, so, but but what's the catch? I don't get it. You know, like it's it's too good to be free. Like, how come this is all free? And at this point, we realized, hey, first of all, we at one point need to generate some revenue, even if it's not going to cover all our costs. But second, it's also just easier to say, hey, look, you get the first with us. It's going to be you get the first two thousand dollars or the first five thousand dollars in transactions for free. We cover your fees for that. But then there's this transaction fee. Um, I think the other important thing 
did it cut out again? No, no. I was just going to ask you a quick question. Oh, sorry. I sorry. was going to ask you a quick question. So sure. if you were bootstrapping this business, would there be anything that you'd do differently? Uh, yeah, this is a bootstrap. <laughs> this is uh, honestly a business that could not be bootstrapped. Um, the upfront okay. costs for technologies are just too high. Um, here, uh, we, we got incredibly lucky that we were able to to have this revenue, um, to have these investments from very, very uh, renowned Silicon Valley investors. And this is honestly all thanks to to my school that I went to. I didn't realize before I came to the US how important universities are, right, in terms for your personal network, but also for your future career chances. And it's even more true if you do a startup. Um, the product doesn't really matter in the beginning when you start fundraising. I still think now, with all the experience, I would have a way to actually do it. Um, I would have started the business completely differently, though. I would have not built a single website. I would have gone to WordPress or I would have gone to Squarespace and just put something together. Because nowadays, the, the cost of to enter or to try out an idea, even if it's an online idea, is very, very small. One of the favorite things I get asked a lot for mentoring sessions with young entrepreneurs um, in Berkeley and, and elsewhere. And one of the favorite things of mine is to think through any idea that I hear and think how we can implement it with $200 or less, you know, just to test it out. It doesn't have to be a real product, but just to test out if people would even use it. And there's the other really important part. You talked about how important the offer is and I totally agree, but just as important is that the offer fits a very small circle of customers really well. You have to have an extremely well-defined niche that you're going after. And I'm sure you've experienced a similar thing. Your services are probably not, in the beginning you start with an idea that says, oh, the whole world will use it, but then you realize it to start with, you have to start with a very, very small customer base that exactly needs your services. Yeah, that's a great point. So I think, I think it's kind of like these three steps in the beginning. One, you're, your business starts, well, obviously it starts with your idea, but it, it starts with yeah. your offer first, the, how you're able to um, convey that idea in a way that would be of interest to other people. Absolutely. Two is how you formulate your message, you know, yeah. whether it's the face-to-face, whether it's through Twitter, Instagram, and then three is trying to find the right market for that message and for that offer. Yeah. Totally so agree. How, how can people find like the the perfect market for their message? Like for example, if I'm online, um, I might use hashtags through Twitter, for example. But maybe they're not because I consult with people like this. But you know, maybe the hashtags are not targeted enough. How, how yeah. do you find the right market for your message? Yeah, it, it, and that's a really tough question. And there, really, I think where rapid experimentation or rapid prototyping comes in again. Um, if you have a certain idea, let's say um, you want to sell SEO services, you know you're good at SEO, and you think, hey, I want to sell SEO service, and I'm going to target, um, I don't know, um, cinemas, because cinemas need better SEO. Or I'm going to target um, retailers, or I'm going to target, I don't know, um, restaurants. The way to go out there is really, um, I personally think Twitter is not that great of a channel anymore. We have very few, very little traffic coming from Twitter these days, but you can do it on Pinterest, you can do it on Instagram. And I would just put together seven homepages that look almost identical, but that just target different different audiences. You know, like you have one that is for cinemas, you have one that is for retails, you have one that is for restaurants. 
And then you can even go out there and just invest 100 or $200 by Google AdWords, you know, SEO cinema or SEO for restaurants or SEO for retailers. And you direct 20, 30, 40 people to your page. And there you have some kind of fake offer saying, hey, sign up today um, and receive, I don't know, $1,000 in free services or whatever it might be. The offer doesn't have to be real. You don't have, or download this amazing ebook right now. And you see out of the 20 people that you got through Google AdWords to your page, you see how many you can convince to just leave their email addresses. And you try this over different niches with different target audiences. And this way you will have at the end a relatively good idea if anybody is interested, A, and B, which of these different groups might be most lucrative for you. What do you recommend for setting up the landing pages? Um, uh, we, use, uh, we used to do a lot of WordPress things. But nowadays, honestly, any, anything from Squarespace to Weebly to um, there, there's Unbounce, I think, as well. I've used um, for a long time, for a long time, but I, I don't know if I can recommend it to people because I think it's it's like six hundred a year or something like this, and that's yeah, not easy for most. It's people. not worth. No, it's not worth it anymore. Honestly, one of these just they don't even have to be um, landing page specific. I believe, yeah, there's some extra features that you might want, but. With WordPress, almost all use, of these. Do you use a plugin uh, or a theme? I just sorry. Uh, yeah, with WordPress, we don't use WordPress anymore. Now we now cost custom code everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we used to just we used to first have a, just a theme, different themes. Then we did our own theme, and then we moved completely away from WordPress. Um, do you, what but do you honestly, for I think like a, for someone starting out. I would not even go to WordPress. WordPress can be kind of a rabbit hole where you go down and there the plugin is crashing and then you update things and things don't work anymore. I would invest um, the eight or $18, whatever it costs to go to Weebly, to Wix or to Squarespace and just create your pages there. Um, it's so much easier. You'll get a result so much quicker. And unless you like the technical challenge of maybe handing a theme and then trying to install it and maybe dealing, dealing with some CSS issue, um, if you don't feel very technical, you just want to get your results, go to one of the standard um, website builders and do it from there. It'll get you up and running the quickest. Okay, gotcha. So let's, um, we talked about offer message, we talked about the market, uh, finding the market. What media are you uh, big on right now? What's been working well for you? I know that you guys started out using word of mouth, but are yeah. there some... I guess like, are you looking into like growth hacks or any kind of like uh, experiential ways of reaching the markets out there? Yeah, we are still at very early stages of that. Um, I have to be honest, we do SEO still the classic way. Um, Guest blogging, featuring people and just putting content out there that people would want to feature. Uh, We spend probably our, we have a great blog editor and uh, a great um, trainee that also does, does blog content. And they spend days researching blog posts, um, really the old school way, you know, okay, who could we feature that would then share us and that would get us more reach and that would get, just get us in front of the audiences that we really want. Um, some of the things that have been really successful for us is really did this old school guest blogging, we tried some other hacks, it didn't really work, and you never really know what Google will penalize. Um, if I would be in an earlier stage with retravel and not have this customer base yet where we have really something to lose, um, I would try 
to do some more experimental SEO stuff, which might be a bit risky, a bit gray area. You know, um, there's all these these crazy hacks you can read out there. Maybe pay somebody on Fiverr to to create, I don't know how many backlinks. But nowadays that we already have an up and running company, we can't really afford to do these kind of experiments anymore. Um, in the beginning, I would have, if I would bootstrap, that's what I would do. I would create some basic page together and see if through some crazy hacks, I can get the page on um, the first page of Google for maybe what, a, I don't know, Safari in, in Safari in Tanzania. And this way generate some revenue right away. But nowadays, um, yeah, with our size and reputation, we can't do that anymore. I want to make a correction. I said experiential earlier. I meant to say experimental, not experiential <laughs> marketing. But I was thinking of things like, you know, so going back into the chaotic realm, like, you know, there's yeah. some other ideas like we've discussed uh, before. There was one startup, uh, I think in episode 43, they did a surveys, you know, like personality tests, mm -hmm. and they got a lot of emails that way. I know there's opportunities with like contests. Um, Product Hunt is another big one that seems to be helping a lot of people right now. Yeah. Uh, have you been looking into any of these as a, as we, a way like, to scale faster? Um, interestingly, we what, yeah, we've looked into, we've been featured on Product Hunt, but then kind of missed the window. Um, we spend actually much more time trying to get in front of the right people. And that, of course, totally depends on your business. If you have a business where you just want to get a thousand more users for, for your business, then you have to have a completely different tactics than if you're targeting very specific people. So for us, really what we want, the person that we want to get at is a passionate individual that ideally already organizes these group trips. Um, they maybe do it on the site like I used to do. Maybe it's part of their job. Maybe it's even the main part of their job. Um, traditionally for yoga teachers, they maybe organize one, two, three yoga retreats a year. And it's, it's kind of part of, it's a professional thing. And we spend a lot of time creating these marketing channels where we get in front of exactly these people. So getting featured in a special newsletter can be really important for us. Or with students, it's going to, we go to conferences. Uh, we go to student conferences, for example, um, the Israeli Student Association of Business Students has a big conference every year. We went there last year just to be there and be present exactly in front of the people that we want to. And so in that sense, we're probably more old school than, than other outlets because we don't target mass, mass audiences yet for that, um, at this moment. Yeah, and that's a great point, too, is that you're just kind of creating growth that's manageable. You know, you don't have to yeah. have a million users overnight or yeah. feel that pressure. And a lot of businesses, you know, they don't even need like a thousand users or a hundred or maybe even ten is enough to, uh, you know, get them started. Yeah. And of course, you, you probably know that the hard thing is really you try as many things as possible and 5% of them will work, right? Um, for some reason, one of the blog entries that gets us the most traffic is something like top five Spotify road play, uh, road trip playlists. And the other one is something like some incredible pictures from some small little place in Nicaragua. And um, yeah, and these have gotten us organizers on our site. Um, the other one that has been, worked really well for us, um, surprisingly, um, in the last two months, and we're going to do more of that, is Quora, um, because you can answer very specific questions. And even some of these questions, I think only about 40, 50 people looked at, but we, it was two or three of the right people, exactly the people who wanted to use our product, right? Um, 
you just have to go out there and try every single thing. Also, we have done quite a few videos. Um, most of them bombed, but uh, most of them failed, but one really was extremely successful. We don't really know why either. Um, you just got to experiment and, and go out there. Okay, cool. So influencer outreach has been the, the big thing for you. Content marketing, um, you know, yeah. guest blogging. I know you've been featured in Financial Times. You've been featured now on Open World, uh, at quite a few other places as well. And yeah. uh, to kind of recap what we discussed, you know, we just kind of talked about offer, message, market, and media. And yeah. um, you just kind of ran us through your whole process. Um, can you, can you run us through those four things again and what your business is doing? So one is your offer. You, you've been uh, giving people a free offer to sign up. And then exactly. your message, your market, and your media. Can you just run us through that real quickly, like just to recap? Yeah. So the offer is really, hey, look, um, it doesn't cost you anything. There's no risk involved. Um, use us because we're a better alternative. The messaging is saying you're organizing your trips right now in some kind of way. You probably may be using PayPal, maybe credit card payments, whatever it is. We have an innovative new way of collecting payments for you that is cheaper and just as reliable and easy for the user. This is normally our big, big message. Um, remind me of the third point quickly. Apologies. Yeah, the third part was uh, market and finding the niche that would respond yeah. best to the message that you have. The market is is really experimental. Again, we stumbled into two markets, first the student market and then the yoga retreat market, pretty much by coincidence and by just trying everything out. We tried cycling tours, we tried culinary tours, we tried martial arts, we tried church groups, we tried a lot of different markets and <laughs> yoga retreat was the one where, where it stuck the best. You know, the message was yeah. clear, the organizers really loved our product. The feedback was great, and the reception was just phenomenal. And um, that's a great point not, there too, no. because I think I think you have to have a different message for every single kind of niche market that you're targeting. And Absolutely, that's, that's why it's really important to get the right message to the right market and identifying that market. Because if you're just sending like one uh, general message to everybody, it's not going to appeal to anyone. Like church yeah. church groups, for example, you know, like. What kind yeah. of group tours a church group is going to do? It's going to be completely different than you know students or one of these other niches that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And then how you get in front of them? There, you really have to have um, people that know what they're doing. So what we do did after we decided um, we we're going to go into yoga retreats is we hire two yoga teachers because um, now I do more yoga and understand the market better. But in the beginning. Um, I was definitely not well suited and my co-founder who is responsible for marketing and sales, he was definitely also not well suited to, to sell or to bring our message across to yoga teachers. Um, maybe we would have done a good job once we would have been able to talk to them, but we wouldn't even really know where to target them, where to find them, which Facebook groups they hang out, which LinkedIn groups, um, which newsletters they subscribe to. And there you need people. Who that have, I think Reddit would be a good one. I don't think we've done much from Reddit. I'll definitely note oh. that down, actually. Sorry, That's I, I don't a mean to interrupt, but I think, I think no, Reddit no, is totally. always a great place to get market research because there's a subreddit for, you know, I just looked up, uh, so I did, I just typed Reddit yoga into Google. Yeah. And yeah. there's a, a yoga subreddit with over 100,000 yogis, it says, and those are just subscribers. You know, you don't know how yeah. many people are actually just browsing on subscribed, but. It's, it's yeah, really totally. great to see what kind of conversations are going on, what kind of language they're using, um, you know, yeah. what they're responding to, what kind of content they're responding to, and such a great repository for ideas. You know, I use this for 
my books when I want to do market research on my books. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, for my sleep hacking book, for example, there's there's one subreddit called I think Get Out of Bed or something like this, mm-hmm. and it was full of people that are just like, you know, I've been lying in bed awake. It's 5 a.m. now. I gotta get up in an hour <laughs> to get to work. You know, what the hell is wrong yeah. with me? And it uh-huh. gave me so many like great killer ideas to use in my copy when I'm writing the book description, for example, in my messaging. That is so cool. That's such a good idea. So how? So you would then look at it and kind of use it as inspiration. Would you also use it to market your book afterwards, or not really? Well, you can do advertisements on Reddit, and there's also um, ways that you can kind of be a little bit promotional. You don't want to be too promotional. Mm-hmm. You just want to come. Exactly. This is this yeah. is where we're going back to offer and message because uh, you always want to come in like with the idea that you're just kind of giving something helpful to the community, uh, just providing value. So we interviewed a growth hacker, Austin Allred, and what he would do is he would take his blog posts from his domain, and the blog posts are basically like a chapter from his book. So it's full of really valuable content, really long form, and you copy and paste it in the, the subreddit uh, just as a text post, and it just said, you know, just had one tiny little link at the top that says, you know, you can find this at this address if you prefer to read a blog post rather than uh, you know, on here, you know, if you prefer a blog format. <laughs> so yeah. he's not, you know, spamming them. He's giving value, yeah. but at the same time, he's driving yeah. qualified traffic back to his website. And it's a brilliant yeah. strategy. No, that's really interesting. It's, we, did a lot of, we did a lot of Reddit experiments really early on when we were still with the beta version and we were still in school. Um, then we honestly just kind of left it on the side, which is a shame. I will definitely get back to that. Huh. Nice. I'm happy about what I'm taking out of this call already. <laughs> yeah, Reddit's a great one. It's like the 900-pound gorilla of free traffic. And, you know, like yeah. I love this model these guys follow because he just used like three or four blog posts on his blog and sent yeah. all of that massive traffic just to the same three or four blog posts. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was just content from his book. He had already had it written. Didn't have yeah. to, you know, write 300 posts or whatever. And uh, just had a little subscription box, you know, at the top. Like, if you want to know when our launch comes, you know, we're going to have more content like this. Sign up mm-hmm. for free here. And, you know, they did an Indiegogo. They raised over $100,000 already for an, an ebook and a course, basically. Nice. Following the strategy. Very cool. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I love it for research. You know, you can go through and you can search subreddits. Like, if there's a particular topic, um, yeah. you know, that you, you're curious about or you want to create some content or a product about, it's yeah. absolutely wonderful for that. You know, it's crazy. That makes me feel so old. <laughs> like it's one of these, Reddit is one of these things that I didn't really grow up with. Maybe it's also a cultural thing. Uh, I mean, it's definitely huge in the US, um, not, and, and not necessarily um, worldwide everywhere, everywhere. But um, yeah. Well, there are users so in, in all, over, all over the world. Um, you know, maybe yeah. it's a, a bigger percentage of it in the US, but um, you know. No, it's definitely huge. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's basically the front page of the internet by now, and I hardly use it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they call themselves. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for your time. We've been joined by Johannes Keppel from WeTravel.com, and uh, really talked about a lot. We talked about travel and a lot of the lessons that you've learned from travel, why you've been traveling, uh, how this has helped you create a business, and some of the methods that you're using to grow this platform. I'm really curious, like, you know, this is this is an example of another sharing economy platform, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see the future of this going? Do you think that, um, 
you know, I think that this is really cool. Like you, you said that uh, you've done over a million in bookings, and I really like these platforms where um, anyone can sign up and just kind of start earning uh, some extra income and a side hustle for themselves. I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, what advice would you give to people to kind of leverage these, you know, platforms like We Travel and others like, you know, there's others like Airbnb. There's quite a few others out there. Like there's ones where yeah. you can rent your car, you know, for the day, for example. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the sharing economy is a really fascinating thing. There's some platforms out there that call themselves sharing economy platforms, although I don't really see them as such. If you're just um, uh, hiring a cleaner through a shared economy platform and they're then independent tra contractors instead of working for a company, that's for me not really in the spirit of the shared economy. But if you can rent out of your apartment or you can rent out your car that you're not using anyway, I think that's a great thing. That's really what we want to empower with We Travel as well. Um, I, I think that's we want to help people. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I think that's what's really um, great, though, and that's an important point to make is that um, these platforms can, like, if you have something that you can offer, without these platforms, without Airbnb, without We Travel, before you would be really out of luck to kind of put your services out there. You know, maybe most people might say uh, they might print up some flyers, you know, and post them in a local coffee shop saying, you know, I have a Absolutely. flat available for short-term rentals, or I'm offering a yoga retreat to uh, Peru or Bolivia, you know, and that's the extent of their reach. But with WeTravel and with Airbnb and other platforms like this is they allow you to reach a global audience and take what you offer and, you know, reach a lot of users. And uh, hopefully that's what they should do. But, you know, some platforms don't have the users yet. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're getting there. No, absolutely. This is really what we want to achieve. Uh, we realized, um, unfortunately, the hard way that for somebody that has never organized a group trip and that has no um, marketing skills or efforts on their own, we can unfortunately not fill them their group trip, right? You can't just put any trip on We Travel and expect uh, um, just visit us our website to then or randomly join your trip. But what we really can do is we can help people that are already passionate about this anyway. Let me give you an example of of Ramon, he's a dance teacher in San Francisco, and he does fantastic dance trips to Cuba for years now, for five or six years. Every year he does one or two. Um, before he started using WeTravel about one year ago, uh, he would fill his trips with seven, eight, maybe nine or 10 people. He would hand out flyers, but he'd have to start from zero again, because first of all, people didn't know about all the trips he organized before. Um, and they would, unless they heard from somebody else that went with him before, they wouldn't really know who this guy was. Now, since he started using WeTravel, he's regularly, he's doing this third trip this month, and he's regularly having more than 20 people on his trips, and he fills them much more easily. The reason is because now they see his profile, they see his prior trips, they see reviews of him on our site. We help him promote the trip as well. We do an interview with him featuring our blog. And these are really the kind of people we want to, we want to empower, right? This is where I see so much value for the shared economy. Um, if you're somebody out there that organizes group trips or organizes a yoga retreat or organizes safaris or student trips, whatever it might be, and you do this already anyway, um, please come to our site. Um, you can also contact me directly at johannes at wetravel.com. Feel free to drop me an email. I'm happy to talk to you in person as well. And really try it out. I think we can really help you do what you do already really good in a more efficient way because the marketing is really difficult. I've organized these group trips myself, convincing somebody to spend a week 
with you um, and to trust you with quite a few, maybe a few thousand dollars for this trip is hard. And platform, platforms like We Travel and others out there can definitely help you do this in a more efficient way and help you get the most out of it. Thank you, Johannes, and congratulations on your success so far. And thank you for being so generous with your time and your knowledge with us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a, a true pleasure. It's been fun, Johannes. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.